Well, Merry Christmas. Who is uh, excited that Christmas is finally here? Who still has to go Christmas shopping this afternoon? Pretty good, pretty good. I didn't see any hands go up. What's your all's favorite Christmas carol? Shout them out. Oh, Holy Night. Did I hear Away in a Manger, Silent Night? Dominic the Donkey? No, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? That's like one of the best, right? I think we should sing that one, Megan. Can we do that real quick? <laughs> we are closing out our series this morning in Jesus' name. We've been looking for the last, oh, about six weeks at some of, just a very few of the names and titles uh, that are given to the Messiah in Scripture. Uh, we are just barely scratching the surface of this topic, but I hope you have been able over these last few weeks, if you've been with us, to uh, learn a little more about Jesus, to connect a little more with Jesus than maybe you had before. And if you've missed any of those, you can catch those on our website. They are under the Messages tab on our website. You can go catch up there for this series. Today, though, as we close this out, we look back at some of the names that we have talked about. We began talking about the Word. And if you were here that week, you remember we spoke about how in, in the book of John, Jesus is spoken about as the Word. And it said the Word was with God. The Word wasn't just with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And we learned about Jesus in that way. Then we spoke about the next week just what His actual name was, that name Jesus, and how it carries that meaning of the Lord saves just in that name. We looked at His title of being King and how Jesus is not just a king over a certain group of people. He's not just my king or your king. Jesus is king of all creation, of all the universe, all the world. We looked at the title that he used most of himself, that title of Son of Man. And probably the most interesting part of that that we talked about was how that title Son of Man gives a connotation of prophecy and that Jesus will one day return again to this kingdom to claim us. Last week we looked at the title I Am and how I Am, it was a definitive way of Jesus saying He was God. He is God. No question. He left no question about it. And all of those, when we start to bring all those together, hopefully it starts to, to give you a better understanding of who Jesus is. And hopefully Jesus is becoming not just something that you believe in, but someone who you are, are growing in a personal relationship with because Jesus is personal. And that's really, I mean, that's what makes our faith so special. He is a personal God who, who desires not just to rule over us, He desires to know us, to, to be in fellowship with us. You know, Christmas is tomorrow. And if you look back at your Christmases from the past, maybe, maybe for a kid, Christmas is all about the gifts. Um, I know my kids, it's probably all about the gifts, Braxton, all about the gifts. He hates me right now, and he's figuring out how he can get to the back without anybody noticing. For a kid, maybe it's all about the gifts. But as we grow older, it becomes less and less about the gifts, and we start to look back at the memories of Christmas. How often does your memories of Christmas have anything to do with a gift? Usually it's about 
the people you spent it with, the relationships, the loved ones that you got to spend those Christmases with. Very rarely does it have anything to do with a gift. And, and when it does have to do with a gift, it's usually deeper than what the gift was. My, I was talking to Christy this week about the best gift that I ever received, and it came from her. And it was, we'd probably been married about eight years or so at the time, and she gave me my, my introductory flying lesson. Uh, I always wanted to be a pilot, so she bought me that introductory flying lesson, and that was a long time ago, and I've still just taken the one lesson. It wasn't about the lesson, really, that made the gift so special. Now, that was an awesome day when I got to go fly around Knoxville, and, and the instructors were coming back into the airport down here at Island Home. He says, all right, land the plane, and I looked at him like, what? He was just messing with me, but... Um, he did let me steer the plane, control the plane all around Knoxville, however you say that. Still the only lesson, or a, yeah, the only flying lesson I've ever taken. What made the gift so special was I didn't really ask for it. It just meant she'd been listening to me. She, she knew the things that I was interested in. She knew me. It, was, it wasn't about the gift as much as it was about the person and her showing me her love through that gift and knowing that she knows me so well. It's all about people. It's all about relationships, and that makes a lot of sense. Because we read in the book of Genesis that mankind is made in the image of God. And when you read about God and we learn about God, we realize God is a relational God. You see it just in His nature, in the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are in relation together. One God Three distinct personalities. It makes so much sense. It has little to do with gifts. It's all about who. It's all about the people. So it is with Christmas, though. Because while cultures co-opted Christmas with a little fat man in a red suit, who's, I don't know how he's going to make this trip, um, you know, I don't know if you saw him up here playing bass guitar tonight. He's got a long knot ahead of him, right? Cultures co-opted Christmas with this little fat guy in a red suit and twinkling lights and that one Mariah Carey song that plays on constant loop from October through January. Who all loves that song? Does anybody actually like that song anymore? You still like that song? It used to be a great song till the 37 millionth time I heard the song. But you know, even that song is about relationships. It's not all I want for Christmas is a brand new car. It's all I want for Christmas is Shane. That's all I want for Christmas. Not me, but that's all Joy wants for Christmas is to be with you, Shane. It's all about relationships. And believers know, if we are believers in Christ, we know that that's what makes our faith so special. And we know that because of that relationship, we are able to to understand life through a different lens than non-Christians are able to understand life. And that, this holiday of Christmas, it really presents us with a choice as believers. We can choose to continue living life like the rest of the world, stressed out over everything, or we can choose to live blessed. 700 years or so before the very first Christmas, Israel... They're pretty stressed. Um, Jason Gaston, uh, I don't know if you know him. He's a pastor over in 
North Carolina, he gives this historical outline of what's going on at that time. He says there's a dominant force rising in the Middle East, and they are named Assyria. All the nations in the Middle East are getting really uptight about Assyria's rise to power. They're getting nervous about how strong this little nation is becoming. So what do they do? What's their choices? They decide to form an alliance together. And they wanted Jerusalem's king in on it. This king, a guy by the name of King Ahaz. But Ahaz, he didn't care much for these other kings. So pretty much out of pure personality conflict, he said, no, nope, I don't want to be a part of this alliance. I have no desire to be a part of that at all because he didn't like those other guys. So the other nations, they threatened to inv invade Jerusalem to dethrone Ahaz, put somebody else on the throne, and then they can take care of Assyria. So the armies, they actually start putting this plan together. Ahaz freaks out a little bit, kind of like middle school girls do when things don't go right. And he, he starts kind of getting really concerned. And at that time, this king from Assyria, who is the enemy, approaches Ahaz to offer protection if he would join forces with him. Ahaz has no idea what he should do. Should I go and stick with this alliance? Should I join up with the Assyrians? What should I do? And God sends a messenger, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, to help him. And Isaiah tells him, don't do either one. Don't join this alliance. You don't have to join up with the Assyrians. God is going to protect you. Ahaz freaks out again, though. And he's nervous. And Isaiah falls on his face and he says, I will give you a sign. And Ahaz tells Isaiah, I don't want a sign. I don't need a sign. I need a solution. If God gives me a sign, that means I've got to obey the sign. Now before we continue, that reminds me of us a little bit. How often are we like that where we don't want to listen to the signs? So we don't seek out the signs because we don't really want to hear from God. How often do you avoid your quiet time and really study in Scripture because you don't want to know what God has to say about the situation that you're in? Because when you hear God say it, then you know that requires obedience. And that's kind of where Ahaz is at. He, he's not ready to commit to this. He's not sure, even though it's a sign from God, that this is going to be the best plan for him. But this sign would change everything. Not just for him. The sign would change everything for the course of history. It would take the Israelites, it would take Ahaz in particular, from having to feel stressed to this idea of being blessed. We read about the sign in Isaiah 7.14. One of the popular verses that you'll hear this time of year. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz, though, he chose the stress side. He chose the alignment with the enemy. And it backfired on him. And... After he joins forces with the enemy, he ends up causing his own people to go back into exile. So the sign didn't work out, did it? 
Oh, but it did. Just because Ahaz made a mistake didn't mean God's promise ended in that moment. So we fast forward some 700 years later and begin looking at this story. In the book of Matthew, I got way too many papers up here. In the book of Matthew, we begin reading in verse 18 this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the middle of their stress, God made them a promise. And God came through on the promise. It took a, took a little time. It didn't happen immediately. Ahaz didn't get to see the promise come true. But it happened. God came through on the promise some 700 years later. And the promise was named God with us. The promise was named Emmanuel. The promise was named Jesus. As the story plays out, maybe a story that you're familiar with if you've spent any time in church growing up, and then you are familiar with this Christmas story, and you will remember that an angel appears to this girl named Mary. And as this angel appears to Mary, she is frightened, obviously. And the angel appears to her and says that over in the book of Luke, in chapter 1, verse 26, uh, 26 through 29, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. There it is again. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Favored is what he says of Mary yet troubled. I mean, just imagine when an angel appears to you. I mean, I'm probably freaking out a little bit. I don't know about you, but that's probably not something that I am expecting to happen today. She's favored. She's probably stressed just a little bit. And she goes and sees her, her cousin, her relative, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth tells her in verse 42, she says, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, Mary had a choice. When this Christmas story, the very first Christmas, began to play out, she could live in the stress, or she could choose to live blessed. I would guess all of y'all know what it's like to be stressed. R raise your hand if you've not been stressed at all through Christmas this year. I'll wait. 
All right, we've all got stress under control. Even young people, even younger than Tina, except him apparently, he's not experienced any stress. None at all. I'll make that change for you tonight. (laughs) We all know what stress is like except for him. Maybe it's financial stress, especially this time of year. Because we want to do so much for those that we love and care about, but maybe the finances don't let us do that. Maybe it's physical stress. Maybe your health is just failing. So it brings this stress on you. For some of us, it's emotional stress. You know, it's just so much going on that it just weighs down on our emotions. And maybe it's relationship stress. Maybe it's, if you're a teenager, maybe it's just dealing with school. That can be a lot of stress, or especially in college, that's stress too, right? Not for you. You're a basketball player. They'll let you do anything you want. No, that was in high school, not in college. We all know stress very well. And we can let stress be the ruling principle of our life. And a lot of times we do. We live in stress. So that can be the ruling principle of our life. Or because of Christmas, we can let blessing be the ruling principle of our life. But, But that word blessed gets tossed around a lot, doesn't it? Especially in Christian circles. I mean, non-Christian circles. I saw a shirt up at Bucky's. That's not a Christian place. It says blessed on it. That word blessed gets thrown around all the time. Maybe you have asked someone how they're doing today, and they say, well, I'm blessed and highly favored. Any Christians ever say that before? You know, that's based in the passage we're looking at today. Or, kind of playing along with what I'm saying this morning, too blessed to be. Three of you knew that one. Too blessed to be stressed. That's one that gets thrown out all the time. Or as I've shared before, that my favorite Southern insult, when someone's an idiot, we say what? Bless their heart. Bless your heart. That word just kind of loses its meaning because it gets thrown around so often. What does it really mean to be blessed? Maybe for you, you went to Target yesterday because you're crazy. And you went to Target two days before Christmas, and you actually got a front row parking spot. That was a blessing. In your eyes, you thought that was blessed. Sometimes it's the Christian version of the Hunger Games. May the odds be ever in your favor. We're just wishing good on people. May good happen to you. Usually when we say someone is blessed, we're saying they're rich in something. Usually money, or, or maybe it's material possessions, or maybe it's you're blessed with good health, or you're blessed with a, a good family. But the point of that is, all of these things, it almost always points to good circumstances. When we say you're blessed, we almost always mean your life is good in this area of your life. Mary wrote a song kind of about this whole topic, and it was... The first Christmas carol, if you want to say so. And here is the song coming out of Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I don't know how you sing this. Can you figure this out, Megan? Let's put it to music. That'll be the invitation. Work on it now. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble a state of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed there she is throwing out that word calling herself blessed 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones and ex- their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Here's some facts of Mary's circumstances. Mary was a teenager. We don't know exactly how old. I've, I've read some scholars say 13 years old. Some even read one that said she may have been as young as 12. Most would say she was no older than 17. So somewhere between 13 and 17 is most likely how old Mary was. So here she is as a teenager, unwed. She's engaged, but she's not married, and she's pregnant. This would have been a serious scandal in her culture. Today it can be a scandal, but it was a serious scandal in her culture. Her reputation would have been in shambles over this. An unwed, pregnant teenager. Apparently Joseph lived a distance from her, so they knew it wasn't his child. They, there was really no question. Any, no one thought it was Joseph. So she would have been thought of as a cheater or even an adulteress because even in engaged, you're still bonded to that person or betrothed. Rumors would have followed her her whole life. I, I actually read as I was studying this week this rumor that, that followed her that's still used in some circles that Mary was pregnant, impregnated by a Roman soldier. Nobody believed her. It's a pretty rough circumstance. But not only was her reputation destroyed, she was extremely poor. I mean, we're talking about the poorest of the poor didn't have two nickels to rub together. And we know that because when, when they make their, their offering, they, they give two turtle doves, which was the offering that the poorest of the poor would give rather than a lamb when they couldn't afford to give a lamb. So she is ruined reputation, probably ruining this, this engagement, this marriage that she's hoping for with Joseph. It's on the rocks. He's thinking about leaving her. People are looking at her and looking down their noses at her. They're calling her all kinds of things. And she doesn't have any money on top of that. Keep in mind as we read these circumstances how she got in the situation. God chose to put her there. The the worst part of it was her reputation being ruined. God chose to put her in that circumstance. Could he have done it another way? Yeah, he could have. He's God. But he chose to put her in this circumstance. So honestly... If someone in that situation were to walk through these doors right now, would you look at them and say, you're blessed? I'd be shocked if any of us did. Would we look at them and say, you are highly favored? 
Probably not so much. Mary has every right as a human being to be in this situation and cry out, woe is me, like we probably would. She has every right to be scared. She has every right to be confused, every right to be mad, every right to be stressed out. And she probably was at different points of this story. But she chooses to acknowledge the blessing instead of wallowing in her self-pity and her situation. How do we do that? How do we choose as Christians to live in blessing when circumstances are not seemingly blessed? How do we choose to live a blessed life? Let's look at Mary's example. What we see in this song that she wrote that we need to admit that perceived blessing is often the opposite of blessing. Well, the things that we look at at blessing are often not a blessing at all. I mean, just look at some of the examples we see here. Verse 51. We see this. Scattered the prouds and the thoughts of their hearts. That The thoughts of their hearts, that word thoughts is imagination, or we would probably say today in their dreams. So these are, they are able to live out their dreams. Scattered the proud in that. Uh, He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. From this position of power that would be seemingly a blessing, He's brought them down. The rich He has sent away empty. All of these things that we look on in life and say they're blessings, they can be the exact opposite. Now there's nothing wrong. If you are living out your wildest dreams right now, I hope that you are blessed in that. If you are experiencing financial blessing, I hope that you are using that wisely for God. If you are in a position that gives you some authority and power, use it for the power of God. There's nothing wrong with any of those things until it becomes your source of joy. And when it becomes where you find your identity... That's giving it glory. Adding weight to it, it's making it an idol. What you're seeking out in life. But success, success is often a curse. How many people do we know who've been successful in life? Christians that we know who've been successful in life financially, in their careers, whatever it may be. How many people do we know that when that success comes, they lose their focus on the Lord? Some even just totally walk away from the Lord. I heard a pastor talking about it this week. um, And he said he was told when he was growing up, sometimes a megachurch is like the worst thing that can ever happen to a pastor. You know, a megachurch are those churches that run over a thousand people every Sunday. Kind of like us, you know, megachurch. Woohoo. We're the mega church of Kodak. No, we're not. Um, because pastors can get so caught up in the ministry and the success of it and start pumping their own chest. And they, they lose sight of why they were ever called to that position in the first place, of why they're even there. But it's not just pastors. It happens to all of us. We lose sight of why God has given us this blessing in the first place, whether it's a financial blessing, a career, whether it's 
pastoring a large church, whatever it may be. Success can be a curse when we lose sight of who gave us the success. And then on the flip side of it, where do we usually find our most intimate moments with God? In failure. When things aren't going so great is usually where we find our most intimate time with God. We all want blessing in our life. I would love for my family to be blessed financially and not have to worry about anything. But not at the expense of a relationship with my children in Jesus Christ. Sometimes a blessing is a curse. A perceived blessing anyways. Second thing we see is that blessing is never found in our own worthiness. It's nothing that you do. It's nothing that I do that makes you worthy of receiving any sort sort of blessing. Almost all of this song, it's not about Mary. Just a small portion. It's all about God's character. It's all about God's presence. It's all about God's promises. She begins this song, verse 46, not saying anything about herself, My soul magnifies not herself, the Lord. Jesus even would say, blessed are the poor in spirit a few years after this, 30 years after this. It's all about His character. It's nothing about us. You know, nothing in this song tells us that Mary was amazing. There are different forms of Christianity that will take Mary and put her on a pedestal and talk about how great Mary is. She never claims that. There's nothing in this that says she is amazing. It all says Jesus is, though. She magnifies Him. Not herself. In Isaiah 43, the prophet wrote, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. No God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. It's nothing about you. It's nothing about Mary. It's nothing about me. It's all about Jesus. Your blessing is not found in your worthiness because we're not worthy. And our blessing is only found in His presence. But notice how she speaks of God through this. In such a personal way, she talks about God, my Savior. She talks about how He has looked down upon me, how He has done great things for me. It's this personal thing. But nothing changed in her circumstance. He didn't pull her out of poverty. He didn't repair this tarnished reputation And she is praising Him, saying, He is mighty. He has blessed me. Nothing changed for her. 
It's not about what he had given her. It's what about he, what about what he had become to her. And it was no longer this distant God. God was with her. She was in his presence. God with us. That is the blessing. That is what is so special about Christmas. Jesus is ours. We get to have a relationship with the great God of the universe through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's what the theologians would call the incarnation, which means God became a human being. The Word became flesh. So what has to be true in your life for you to claim blessing? What has to be true in your life to rejoice in God or to just rejoice in anything, period? Because that, whatever it is that you have to have for joy in your life, that is what you magnify. That is what you give glory to. That is what you put weight on. Whatever those things are, that is where you believe blessing comes from. And maybe for you it is finances. Maybe you know or you think, I can't be happy unless I hit this financial point in my life. Till I have X amount in my retirement account. Till I have this house. Till I live in this neighborhood. Till I drive that car. Maybe it is, I can never feel blessed until I have that marriage that's perfect. Let me know when you find that. I'm as close as it can get with my wife. She doesn't think that this way. Pretty perfect for me. But it's still not perfect. Maybe it's when I have those kids and get to have the picture-perfect family until you realize those kids can sometimes be the spawn of the devil. <laughs> what do you need in order to be satisfied in life? That is where you believe you find blessing. And what you choose to magnify in your life to put the weight on in your life, that is the difference between living a life stressed and living a life blessed. Because when we are magnifying the things of this world, it will never bring satisfaction. Never. It is always temporary. There's always more to want. If you are unmoved by the songs of worship, by the preaching of the Word. I realize there's better preachers out there, but there's nobody that loves you more. If you are unmoved in a worship service, then maybe you're placing your magnification in a different place. If Man, if you're unmoved being here today, but today, this afternoon, when your team scores a touchdown, you're going to leap off the couch. You're, you're magnifying the wrong things. A young person, if you can spend hours online shopping for the best deals or on social media or whatever it may be, but you can't spend 15 minutes in sustained prayer, you're magnifying the wrong things. 
Parents, if you participate in, in Christmas morning and put so much emphasis on the joys of Christmas, the magic, as we say, of Christmas, more than you pray for the salvation of your family, you're magnifying the wrong things. So for, for many years, Jesus wasn't personal for me. A doctrine I learned. I mean, He was important. He was my Savior, but He wasn't really personal for me. It was a lifestyle that I had committed to, that I wanted to pursue, especially in my early years as a believer. But I wasn't, it wasn't really a personal thing until I understood this. God with us. It's nothing that I do. It's all Him. That He is always present even when life is terrible, even when reputations are stained, even when you don't have two nickels to rub together. God with us. That's where the blessing is. And it became very real for me. Matthew 28. Last words Jesus would say to His disciples. He would reiterate this and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And maybe that's foreign to you. He ascended to heaven. How can He be with us? God with us. He's with us in the Holy Spirit. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God living inside of you. That power that created a virgin birth. That raised Jesus from the tomb. That power He's indwelling you. God with us. And today you have the choice. You can choose to keep living how the world tells you to live, which always leads to stress. Or you could choose in the middle of that to realize no matter how bad it's gotten, God is with us. The band returns up here. We're going to close with a song. And I'm going to ask you to just reflect for a few moments as they come. If you would bow your heads, just get alone. Not paying attention to anybody else, just thinking about you and your relationship with the Lord. Are you living in the middle of stress? Or are you choosing to accept the blessing?